Hey, what's up, guys? This is Mark and Ryan, and we have a special guest with us tonight. So this should be a fun podcast. Um, so I think we talked about in our first podcast where Ryan and I have known each other since we're re- we were really little. I don't know, probably like two, three, whatever it is. Well, there's one other friend that most of you who know us know hasn't been in these podcasts, but that's just because we're idiots and we haven't done that yet. Um, so Josh is here tonight. What's up, What's y'all? up, Josh? Dr. So, Josh Burr here, okay, okay. sitting across no. from these two knuckleheads. Okay. <laughs> okay. First of all, <laughs> it is really good to have you here, man. And I'm just, I'm just glad to hear what you had to say. But the doctor thing cracks me up every time. Uh, <laughs> yeah, anyway. I'm excited. Well, I feel like a doctor right now. You two are sitting across from me. I'm in this nice. You're in like chair. a comfy chair. We're on the couch. I feel like this is a counseling session. <laughs> I just realized we're on the couch. Yeah. This is incredible. So, how does this make you guys feel? Now, granted, um, this is less like a therapy session because there may be a football game on in the background. That's not really a game. It's Tampa Bay. Hey, so, Josh, I have some really important questions on marriage that I'd oh, like to yeah, ask you. Oh, yeah. I have so. a lot of experience. <laughs> Fire away, boys. <laughs> uh, dude, I, I'm really excited to hear that. We're going to have a good time. Um, my guess is for people that are listening, me and Mark usually say we're going to joke around and that we get way too serious. So, I think that Josh will probably bring a sense of humor to this. So, yeah, let's just let's jump into this. And, um, you know, we always come in every week and we want to try to talk about um, you know, the things that God's either presses on our heart or wrecks us with or just makes us feel, um, I don't know, inadequate to serve him, I guess. You know, he always brings something into our minds that I'm like, man, I really need to be better about this. Um, so the first thing I want to talk about, and it's just a quote. I think I heard it from a message, actually. Um, but he talks th- this quote, and it says, we have to break the fear of human opinion, which the first that blew my mind when I think about it. It's like, we have to break the fear of what other people think about us, and we should be more centered on the opinion of what you know, Christ thinks of us. And the second part of that is like a desire of excellence becomes an idolatry of opinion. So excellence in itself is not a bad thing, you know, and you can be excellent in all sorts of things, excellent in your job, excellent in being a youth leader, as we're going to talk about, and things like that. But if the desire to be excellent becomes a fear of your coworkers or the people you're working with, um, you wanting to th- them, you wanting them to think how great you are, it can become an idol or it can become idolatry of opinion. So, yeah, I just heard that and I was like, man, that's something that I, you know, I worry about what people think all the time and wanting to impress them. And like, it's a hard thing to get rid of. And so, uh, yeah, I just thought it was, you know, pertinent to talk about. I wish I could say that uh, I'm not guilty of that, fearing <laughs> others' opinions. But uh, as, a, as a youth high school leader, um, yeah, that's kind of impossible. I love those kids so much, and all I want to do is fit in with them. I want to be able to relate to them on a level that they can understand, but I always lose sight that there's a line. Mm. You know, there, there is an absolute line where you can relate to them, but if you go too far, you got to bring it back to Christ. And I struggle with that because I'm wor- worried about what they're going to think about me, or I'm worried about if I'm going to say the right thing, mm. you know? And so that's kind of something I've been working on, you know, pray- in my prayer life lately, like, God can you just speak through me to these kids? Like, how can I be useful to these kids? How can I lead them in a way that, that is, is cool, but is Christ centered and not me centered, you know? Well, it reminds me of, um, uh, Lecrae's comment. That's just turned into like this famous comment that I always hear is if you live for their acceptance, you'll die by their rejection. Ooh, Ooh. (laughs) right. Like if we're, if we're striving for other people's acceptance, we're just going to die. Like the second they reject us, it's going to be like that mortal wound that just annihilates us because we don't know how to respond. Like, 
Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's tough because... So you have like, you have a culture, right? Of a cancel culture, right? So you're afraid to go contrary to what the rest of the culture is thinking because you're going to get canceled, which is like... That's the scariest thing. Oh, for sure. As, especially as a young adult or even a high schooler. Oh. That's the scariest thing. You're just going to get... You're afraid you're going to say something dumb and get canceled and be like, oh, you're an idiot. You don't know what you're talking about. And I'm like, funny fact, fun fact, that's not kingdom culture. Hmm. Like not even close. So that's like the complete opposite of kingdom culture. Kingdom culture is loving your neighbor. And that means if they say something dumb, like all three of us, I can attest, we all three have been through different seasons of our life where we've done something pretty stupid. We didn't cancel each other. We didn't like ream each other. It was like, hey, yo, like this is not good. Like, but we were able to call each other out Mm -hmm. and we weren't afraid of that cancel culture. So like one thing to say, I mean, you guys, obviously, you guys know my past. We've been friends for a long time. And like I've ran into issues where I, I struggled with my faith for, I mean, the better part of what, two years? Is that fair? Yeah, two yeah, years, three fair. years? That's fair. And I will say like you talk about how it's like you you slapped me up uh, upside the head. But to be honest, from my perspective, it never really felt that way. Like you guys were always like, hey, you know, you would come and be like, hey, you know, this doesn't seem right. You shouldn't be doing this. But I never felt judged i guess you guys always came in in a in a in a manner that made me feel that eventually made me want to come back to church and come back to jesus because of the way that you guys treated me in that that setting so anyway um i guess all that to say like if you have someone in your life that way like maybe you know treat them with as we've talked as we're going to talk about a ton like there's a grace that runs throughout the entirety of the bible and like that's really important to one you're gonna have to slap people upside the head sometimes because mm-hmm. they're not acting the right way but at the same time like there's that grace aspect that really i think changes people's opinion on christianity when they see the fullness of that calling out your best friend is the hardest thing you'll ever do oh my gosh it's it's way harder with your best friend than oh, it is with someone yeah. you hardly know you don't think it would be but it is well there's that there's that inherent fear of they're gonna hate you and they're never gonna talk to you again Exactly, yeah. And I can't imagine either of you guys not in my life. Right. You know? I mean, we're at what? We're at uh, 24, 25 years, something along those lines? Just about. Don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> I already feel old enough when I wake up in the morning and it hurts to get out of bed. We're not like almost 30, are we? Uh, yeah, we are. Uh, wait, wait. Question, question. Uh-huh. So I, I hear this all the time, that once you hit 26, you're actually in your late 20s. Oh, for sure. I disagree. Hear me oh, out. Okay, okay. Hear me out. So... This 20. is the levity that we were talking about Josh was going to bring. Thank God. Yeah, it's just random. And I've ta- I'm sure some of you are listening to this, and we've had this discussion very recently, so bear with me here. Um, 20 years old, obviously you're in your early 20s, duh. Yeah. 20, 21, 22, 23, you're in your early 20s. Okay. 24, 25, and 26, I say is mid-20s. Okay, fair okay? enough. I, I get that. I say that's mid-20s. Who's, who's to say that 20, once you hit 26, that's one after 25, which is right in the middle of 20 and 30. Who's to say that 26 is late 20s? Am I right? Correct me if I'm wrong. No, that makes perfect sense. And to be honest, I feel way better about myself as a whole person now that you brought that up. So Yeah, but the problem is in like four months, I turned 27. So I'm really in trouble. Already, okay, here's so. the thing. I was just going to call a rap on that, Mark. Why did you have to bring that up? I was like, we're done tonight. We're done. Time. I mean, I'm the oldest out of all three. So I'm the one that's kind of, you know. <laughs> By two weeks. Three weeks. Maybe, three. Yeah. Everyone hears me and Mark's opinions or our, you know, what's going on in our lives all the time. Um, why don't you just, why don't you just, you know, bring us into your uh, life and just something that God's laid on your heart. It can be anything you want. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, a lot of you know that recently my family was affected by the COVID. My, uh, my grandma actually just recently passed away. Um, so yeah. sadly. I know, man. Um, she's with Jesus that. now. 
we'll see her again. But that being said, it just it just kind of hit my whole family pretty hard, and this whole year has just been a a crap show. But this has been a tough year for everyone, and everyone's been affected by the Rona in some way, shape, or form. Um, but it really hit us hard, and I was really discouraged having a hard week at work. There was lots of spiritual warfare going on that particular week. Uh, and then my, my personal time with the Lord, I was reading Romans chapter 5. And what really stood out to me was verses 3 through 5. I'm going to read it to you now. So Romans chapter 5, verse 3 through 5, it says, Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, mm. and character produces hope. Mm. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Mm. So that was really encouraging. And what was awesome is not only did it encourage me, but I got to share it with my mom and my other right. family members. And, and just that, that one, God, you know, God just meets you where you're at. Yep. It's amazing. He never fails us. Like, I just prayed. I'm like, God, I need something. I need, I need something to encourage yep. me because it's been a tough week. And he brings me that. And uh, it just gives you hope. You know, oh, for sure. No, it's funny because I mean, all three of us grew up in Awana, right? Yeah. I know I memorized that verse. Oh, definitely. Yeah. It's not bashing on Awana at all. Right. But the thing I think is interesting about Awana is that there's almost this thought of I memorized it. And now, and now it's always in my head and I'm never going to forget it. You're, you're right. a thousand percent going to mm-hmm. forget it. Like Awana is great because it gets you into the word. And for me, like it isn't what turned me into a Bible nerd because I kind of feel like I've been I kind of go in and out of being a Bible nerd lately. Like right now I'm going through like this um, graduate level class on the Old Testament, which is amazing. But I like feel like a Bible nerd because I like have all these weird ideas, mm-hmm. facts going around in my head. But what I feel like I want to should do is like it turns you into that a little bit because you read all these cool things. You're like, oh, I want to dig in more. And if you're not reading your Bible every day or you're not in it consistently, that verse is either not going to mean anything to you. Right. It's just this one verse you memorized, one point in your life, or you're just not even going to remember it. Mm -hmm. And so the fact that you'd been reading through it and you've read through it multiple times meant that when you came into that season and God's like, I'm going to give you a word. And like that verse, it carries more weight because you've already memorized it. You know it. But it's that like refresher in your heart of hearts of like, no, this is true. I know this to be true. Well, and it speaks to the reality of God too, because... He meets you where you're at. You ask for him for something, and he delivers. Now, it may not be in the way that we want it or expect it, but in that particular day, he just very simply showed me something through his word as I was just sitting there reading, and it just it was like a megaphone in my ears. Mm-hmm. You know, like, this is for you today. I want to encourage you because I love you, and you're my child. Mm-hmm. You know, we're going to have trials and tribulations in this world. If you're not suffering, then you're probably not living for Christ. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's just, I'm just going to be really honest. If you don't have any suffering, now that's not to say there's no reprieve. God gives us seasons where, you know, things are going good and it's for rest for our mm-hmm. souls. But um, if you're not suffering, then you're probably not living for Christ or walking with them. Mm-hmm. It even reminds me of like that verse, right? That talks about um, always be prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have. How can you always be prepared to give an answer if you're not doing anything that's going to get someone to ask you that question? Like, I know I escalate there, but like legitimately, who's going to ask someone a question who looks nothing different? Like, honestly. Um, Dude, so I totally agree with you. And this is something that it's kind of funny that this is put on my heart. First of all, first of all, Josh, I, I think it's awesome that like 
it's a verse that you've probably read. I mean, how many times do you think you've read that? Like 15, oh, 20, 30, oh, 40 times. times. Yeah, countless times. And you've read it all these times, and then like the one time that you really needed it, mm-hmm. like God just brought that into your life. It's for, it's it's amazing. But so one thing I think that's interesting, the one thing that you said where you talked about how that like God meets you where you're at, right? And it's something I've been thinking about a lot lately is like um, like the gospel and with Jesus, like a lot of times when he is, you know, he, he met people where they were at all the time mm-hmm. in the New Testament. And like the reality of the gospel is that like the goal hasn't changed. So you're trying to meet people or you're trying to meet people or the culture where it's at. Right. And you're trying to show them Jesus. And I mean, that like even just like he, him meeting you there in that, right. in that place by yourself is one of, is so cool. It's like, it's so, that's so awesome, man. That he, that God just comes and does that for you. Yeah. God is, God is real, man. God is good. And he loves each and every one of us. And that's just proof right there. Yeah, for sure. Oh, Mark, there was something that you said, um, like, how can we expect to, um, what'd you say? Oh, um, that we're always called to give an, we're called to always be prepared to give an answer. And how can we right. give an answer if we're never right. asked? Um, that kind of just reminded me of something when I was reading. I'm reading this book called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. Um, and something that was talking about was um, basically just that, like, how can I expect to give what I don't possess? Yep. Um, that hurt my feelings really bad, by the way. <laughs> I mean, how can I share the word of God unless I know it? Yep. I can do things for God all the time, but will it be fruitful for me or for others unless I'm in the word of God actively and living it? All right, podcast over. Time to go home. Oh my I mean, for real, though, this, is, this was one of those moments I'm like, wow. This is what made me a Bible nerd, Mark. Yep. Going back to what you said, yep. this is stuff like this. Seeing my brokenness is what makes me a Bible nerd because I want to be able to give an answer. You know, when people ask me yep. something about Jesus or about the Word of God, like we need to be ready. Yeah, no, for ready. sure. <laughs> <laughs> Ryan is Ryan has crashed. Um, <laughs> no, I mean, dude, like that's the thing. Like, I honestly think the biggest issue. And this is going to come as like, I know that's going to probably sound like super arrogant as a 26 year old saying this, right? But I think the biggest issue in Western Christianity right now is the fact that we think we know the Bible so perfectly. We think we know everything about it. Well, yeah, I went to Awana, so I know everything. I go to church every Sunday. And I'm like, but, but that's not it. Like even simple things of like, I don't didn't understand until literally last week that the Old Testament that I read in my Bible right now is not in the same order as what it was, what Jesus would have learned the Old Testament as or the mm. Hebrew Bible. And there's actually importance to that. Like there's actually a specific reason that it was written the way it was. And that's not to say that the way we read it is bad or anything, right? But there is a reason for the way it's written. And so if I don't understand that, then I'm actually going to miss a lot of the context that's referenced in the Bible. Like, so one of the things that I have written down that I, it just blew my mind, right? So it was in this class, right? And they're talking about in Luke 11, in Luke chapter 11, it, it's Jesus talking, right? And he goes in verse uh, 50, he's talking to the Jews, right? He says, therefore, this generation will be held responsible for the blood of all the prophets that has been shed since the beginning of the world. Verse 51, from the blood of Abel, which we would know is Genesis, like very, very early Genesis, right? 
to the blood of Zechariah, who was killed between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, this generation will be held responsible for it all. And so for me, I always read that verse. I'm like, oh, okay, that's that's cool. Like I, I, Jesus is saying something really cool. Like, but like that's the thing that's changed in me is I now want to understand what the reaction of the people around him was when he said this, right? Because he obviously said it for a reason. And so I'm looking at, I'm, I go online and I start looking at like how the Tanakh, which is the Hebrew Bible is called, um, is laid out. So the first book of the, in the way it's laid out is Genesis, right? So you think of Abel, right? So right. that's the first person martyred. But in the Tanakh, the last book of the Tanakh is Chronicles. And Zechariah is killed in Chronicles. So what Jesus is doing is he's referencing the entirety of the Old Testament. Wow. Now, I missed that the entire time just because I didn't understand what the people listening understood. Now, does that change what Jesus said? Does it bring some new great revelation to the Bible of like some new prophecy or new thing? No, it doesn't. But what it does is I want to understand what the authors were actually trying to get across and what the person speaking was actually trying to get across because I don't live in first century Jerusalem. I didn't grow up memorizing the Tanakh. Like when you think that Jewish boys had the entirety of what was it, Psalms or Proverbs memorized? And I'm like, bruh, are you kidding me? I barely memorized everything in Awana. And that took how many years to memorize everything in Awana? <laughs> like these guys know, like have the entire Bible memory. It even comes back to that, right? How do I know that the Bible is true? How do I see all these things? And then you begin to dig in and dig deeper. And those are parts of your answer. Like that is an incredible moment of the people in the crowd were like, oh, he literally just referenced the entirety of what we know and believe. Mm. There, there's a weight to it. So it even comes down to that, like that there's a loss of actually knowing the scriptures. I think that's where we're that's where we're struggling as a culture. Is we don't know know the scriptures. We think we do. And we gloss over verses like we think we do. I'll add to that and and say just real quickly before you start Ryan that it, it's not just that we don't know the Bible but we're not as a culture we're not in the Bible. Mm. Step 1 is just opening it up. Right. Step 2 is is, is actually you know diving in and studying it and trying to know it and live by it. What are you going to say Ryan? Um, uh, I was just going to talk about how, like, you know, Mark's talking about, um, like the Bible, it's, it's not like it's inherently changed, but there's things that you didn't realize as you learn things about the Bible. And I guess in my mind, I don't know if you guys are the same way about this, but you're, you're always told, I, I, we've been told for a while that like the Bible is one continuous story, but my brain has never thought about it that way until mm. like, I don't know, six months ago. And since then, my mind has been blown multiple times because, like, the Old Testament, you know, you read it and you're like, yeah, like, this, but this was so long ago. How important is it? And then as you learn more and more, you realize that, like, the entire point of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. And then the whole New Testament is about Jesus. And then all everything is about Jesus, and it all points to him. And it's one continuous story getting to Jesus. But you don't, you know, it's sometimes hard to see that, Um when you read things individually and I don't know I just I think it's so cool that you see the hand of God and like the same thing woven throughout the entire story of the Bible so I was talking to the guys about this earlier um so I I wrote this down earlier this morning and I was reading of all things Chronicles which everyone knows is the most fun book in the entire Bible right um 
So anyway, so I just said said we can only understand spiritual things through the spirit which wi- with spirit which was given to us out of grace. So that's referencing in Corinthians where Paul talks about like you the, you get the spirit and the Holy Spirit only from grace of God, so you can understand the spiritual nature of things that God's teaching you. And then I thought about like the Bible repeatedly points to the grace of Jesus throughout the entire Bible or the grace of the Trinity throughout the whole Bible. So like in the Old Testament, there's so many different times where God shows compassion to Israelites after they've been clowns, you know, and they've done something where it's like, oh my gosh, um, which I used to make fun of them until I realized that like it's kind of just me, but in a whole pe- whole, per- whole group of people and I act that way all the time. Anyway, um, and then after that, you get, to the, you get to the New Testament and Jesus's entire life is showing grace to others by he, he heals the sick and things like this. But, I mean, in the end, he dies for everyone's sins and all of humanity. So it was. it's just cool to see, like, the idea of grace woven throughout the entirety of the Bible and how, like, if you're not looking for it to be a unified story, mm-hmm. you, you'll miss that. You know, the, you'll miss that whole thing. So, anyway. Yeah, I mean, it, it's, it's so interesting, like, in the class I was taking, it, like, it was like an overview question, right? And, I, and it was talking about how how does like viewing the Bible, especially the Old Testament, as a as a continuous story about the people of God, right? Um, like understanding that changed how you read it. And I wrote down, like, it's different because growing up, I almost thought of the Hebrew Bible, as I've started to call it, like the Old Testament Hebrew Bible, as like a prequel to the New Testament. Or like think of like the opening scroll of Star Wars, right? It gives you like this brief except in the Old Testament, it's long. Um, this this <laughs> overview of what is happening before the action. Before the things that affect me. Yo. Right? Because Dude. realistically, as a Gentile, because I'm not Jewish, like most people are like, oh, well, because Jesus died, I get to go to heaven. So let, let's get to that part. That part's cool. But the Old Testament is so much more than that. Um it's it's so incredible to see like one of the way one of the things that I thought was so so interesting is where he talks about the Tanakh or the Old Testament. I keep referring it to all of them because I just I think it's really cool to think of it as what the Jew, the Jewish people of Jesus' day or what Jesus thought of it. Like Jesus read and knew the Tanakh. Right. Like he studied it. So like the Tanakh describes the kind of leader humanity really needs. What do the Torah or the law? And prophets say about this person, and who is it like? And it's crazy because the Old Testament continually gives you like these little, um, think of like a mirror shattered. You have little pieces of that mirror, and you can see a picture of the whole, or like a puzzle. Like you see a little piece of the whole picture, right? So you have people like Moses or Joshua or Elijah that, as each person goes on, it kind of fills out the look and the idea of who this Messiah, this anointed one, is but you don't get to see it. Everything is just pointing to it. And it's funny because at the end of Deuteronomy, it says that um, when Moses, well, this is a fun topic we'll get in a minute, but when Moses dies, quote unquote, um, like it says, there was never another prophet like him in the days of Israel until Jesus. It doesn't say that, but that's what it's implying. It's They were looking for that Messiah, that rescuer. And there never came one. Joshua came and followed him. He was a great great leader. But yeah, he, he was. But he well, okay. <laughs> but he wasn't. But he wasn't even Moses. He wasn't Jesus. And you have these people who become archetypes and like these these pictures, like David, right? You have these pictures of who of little little pieces of who the Messiah is. But everything leads up to. 
that's why like that's why honestly something i don't remember if it was our pastor or someone else said it but that's why actually we'll read the genealogies at the beginning of the uh gospels because they're that continuation that um as one one guy i know um calls it a hyperlink between the new testament and the old testament those um those genealogies are hyperlinks they show you how you get to jesus you see the genealogy and you see mm-hmm. these little archetypes that happen to see where Jesus is coming from and how and why it's so important. Right. So that's really profound. One way that I like to look at the Old Testament and correct me if I'm wrong, but the Old Testament paves the way for Jesus. The Old Testament, we think of the law, the law of Moses, the law that we cannot ever live up to because no one's perfect. And then Jesus came and he did live up to the law. He fulfilled the law. And he lived a perfect life, and that's why he was able to die for us and be the sacrifice that covered all, because he was perfect. And then raising from the dead, he justified us. Josh, so let's just, I don't know, let's just get your thoughts or opinion on something. What else, what's another thing God's put on your heart, and what, you know, or what's going on in your life, or something, you know, something along those lines. Just just speak for whatever you want to talk about, so. Yeah, sure. Well, uh, I've been continuing to go through the book of Romans, like I said, really slowly, Mm-hmm. And uh, I've never gone through a book this slowly before. Mm-hmm. I've always been in the mindset like I need to read my Bible in one year. And that's just not true. You don't have to read your Bible in one year. That's that's not a thing. What matters is you spending time with Jesus mm-hmm. um, and letting him transform you. Okay, so that's why it's important to to really just take your time when you read God's word. Yeah. You know, there's nothing wrong with reading it in a year. But what's yeah. the point of reading it in a year if you're not retaining anything? Mm-hmm. You know? So one thing that I read... <laughs> the other day, and, and I've never really stopped and read this slowly before, but it's in Romans chapter 7, mm-hmm. verses 15 through 25. Romans 7, 15 through 25. I'm not going to read the whole thing. Uh, because sure. Go read it for yourselves, though, um, and read it slowly and really comprehend what it's trying to say. This is the mm-hmm. one where uh, it's a lot of fun. Paul is basically saying, for I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do everything I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want... I agree with a lot of this good. And then he goes on to say in verse 20, he says, Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. And it's just this, this recurring theme of like, I do what I want to do, I, but I don't want to do it. And I want to do what I do want to do, but I don't do it. It just gets confusing. But read it slowly, and you'll see what he's trying to say. But I love how it ends in verses 24 through 25. It says, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Mm. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh, I serve the law of sin. Mm. What really hit me with that was because I'm a child of God, because I've been set apart by the Holy Spirit, I'm not a finished work. Yep. By, sure. by no means am I a finished work. Even though we think we should be. Yeah. Right. For some weird reason. For some, we think we're a, well, I am a Christian, but just that thought, we're like, oh yeah. I'm good. I'm good to go. No, we're not. Not even close. Um, basically, what this is all saying, from what I got, is we are righteous in Christ, but we're not yet perfected until mm-hmm. the day of redemption. For and sure. so there's this ongoing struggle. There's this misconception that Christians don't struggle with anything. <laughs> Guess what? We're just as much uh, sinners as anyone else in this world because we are still in this body. We're still in this flesh. We're still in this world. Well, I mean, this isn't to sound like arrogant. It's just, it's interesting because like people always think Christians always have it together. 
And then we're usually the first to get called hypocrites, even though we call ourselves hypocrites way faster than anyone else. Right. But the reason I think that we feel so much worse sometimes is because we're so aware of our sin. Mm, We're aware that what we're doing is wrong. I also, I agree with that 100%. I also think that because we're already saved, the enemy will do anything mm-hmm. to tear us down. Yep, and he for sure. wants us to be like, no, you can't be forgiven for that. You can't, he wants us to dwell on that. Yep, Because exactly. that will hinder us from drawing close to the Lord if we believe that. Yeah. But we don't have to believe that. Exactly. No, it's, it's funny. I mean, like, that's always been a verse that like has just struck me for a long time is just like that concept of the things I don't want to do, I, I end up doing. And the right. things I really want to do, I end up, not doing like even just super simple example. All three of us can attest to, we really want to wake up in the morning and read our Bible. Right. Like we know that's important and I really want to do it, but I nine times out of 10 don't do it because I wake up late and I'm rushing to work and I just have mm-hmm. to get to work. Ironically, I work at a church, which is still hysterical that I don't do that, but you know, whatever. And it's not like I'd get in trouble if like my pastor walked into my office while I was supposed to be working and it was reading my Bible. I'm like 99 point. No, no, I'm a hundred percent sure. I don't think he'd be irritated at me because I wasn't working and I was reading my Bible. Could be wrong. Highly doubt it. <laughs> right. But right. like, those are the things we get into, but then the things I don't want to do, like flare up with anger, get mm-hmm. mad. Um, <laughs> like lust. We, yeah, right. Lust. Just going to throw that one out there. Right. Exactly. Or even like for me, practical thing, like the title of our podcast is what God did to me this week. God decided to wreck me with the fact that I'm really selfish and inconsiderate <laughs> when it comes to my marriage. I'm what? a jerk. No, not you. Yeah, right? oh, yeah, exactly. But like, I like he really wrecked me the other night just because I, I realized like I had hurt my wife. I wasn't loving. I wasn't gentle. I wasn't kind. And I was very selfish and like I could try and find a way to excuse my way out of it. But like Ryan and I had this discussion a long time ago, right? And it was actually kind of like the uh, spur of this, of this podcast was um, the Bible talks about how men are the head of the household. And usually guys take that and we're like, well, I'm in charge. I make the rules. And like, no, no, no. What it actually means is like, as you go, so your household goes. Mm-hmm. And if you aren't following Jesus, uh, it's going to be really tough for your household to follow Jesus. Well, and what follows that verse pretty closely is, husbands, love your wives. As Christ loved the church. As Christ loved the and church. And how did he love the church again, to remind me? Oh, yeah, he died on the cross. Mm-hmm. He sacrificed. And God made it really clear, I don't sacrifice for my wife very often. And it kind of broke me. And I was like, oh, man. Dang it. And I just kind of sat there and I'm like, this wasn't like a self-serving, like a uh, pity party for myself where I was like, if I say this, I'll feel better about myself. I was just like, man, I suck. Like, this is not the type of husband. This is not the type of man I want to be. I want to love my wife as Christ loved the church and I'm not doing a good job of it. But it's just that thing of, I want to do that, but my sin nature, I don't all the time. And I think that over time it gets better. And you get better at it because you realize the deficiencies in yourself. But like, it's those moments when your wife calls you out and says, that wasn't very loving. That actually kind of hurt. Mm-hmm. That's my sin nature. That it, that's, that's, that's the evil inside of me. And we have to come to terms with that. Right. Like, I think a lot of us just have the coping mechanism of just kind of burying it. Right. Or like, oh, that was really bad. I won't do it again. You got to deal with it. Because if you don't ever deal with it, it's just going to keep coming back, coming back. And a lot of sin is like that. If you never deal mm-hmm. with it and you just bury it down, it'll go away for a little bit. But it will, it will, it will come back. Well, that 
that kind of prompts me to say this. Um, when you deal with an issue of sin, it's it's in a lot of cases, I find it's best not to deal with it on my own. That's why it's good to have brothers and sisters in the Lord that you can that you can trust, that you can talk to and share these things with because true healing comes when you are open about your sin. When the sin comes to light, that's when yeah. healing happens. So it's really important to have that group of people, to have a church, to have a, you know, f- friends that are believers that you can share these things with so that they can pray for you. And then you can work through them together. You know, we're not meant to do this life alone. Um yeah, dude, it's like one one thing you hit on where you talk about like like praying together and I think we've talked about this multiple times, but it it's always on it's kind of always in my head like we miss that a lot where like it's like you'll pray to yourself and you'll maybe you'll spend it, but like mm-hmm. like think the amount of times that I think about like actually spending time praying with other people is like pretty limited. Yeah. Um especially now <laughs> with the like the context of like the pan- pandemic we're in, like isolation like it's um i mean it kind of it makes it difficult but like you can still you know you can still talk to other people about it but uh, i just in my own life i've i mean i'm not i don't do that as much as i probably should um but like the important the importance of like praying with other people is huge so. and, and i i'm right there with you i you know i'm nowhere near where i should be in terms of that i should be better about it but the reality is, I mean, each of us were one phone call away. Yeah. So what's stopping us from just making a phone call? Mm-hmm. You know, it's pride. Yeah, hundred percent pride, man. Absolutely. All right. So this this is one thing I had written down, which um I thought was interesting. Um, and I kind of just gleaned this from like just from reading reading the Bible and just um, I mean, a lot of it was out of Chronicles. Ironically, almost everything that I've gotten is out of Chronicles, which makes zero sense. But um, it was that humanity in its worst form is redefining good and evil on its own terms, right? And I just noticed, in, I mean, historically, like when you start redefining good and evil on your own terms and you start defining like what is, if you, like in the, in the history of like, you know, in Israel, like when they started redefining good and evil on what they thought was good and what was good for them, mm-hmm. like they really ran into trouble. And I was reading that and I was like, man, that, that's so prevalent like for our own like society today where... Um, I think like the better part of society, when we talk about like you redefine good and evil on your own terms, you put, um, you, you craft religion or you craft Jesus, you craft the Bible in a way where it, um, fits your life to, you know, to, in the best way possible. And, you know, um, I think that we're head, you know, it heads us down a path where it, you know, it's you know, our na- our nation or in general is heading down a path where we're, we're redefining what good and what evil is. And, you know, mm-hmm. we're going to, we're like, it's going to be tough for us. It's not going to get yeah. any better. And I just thought it was interesting how that correlated with the day. Anyway. Well, I mean, it's, it's even like, you think about like, uh, the Bible uses Babylon as an archetype for a country that flees from God almost. It, that it, it redefines good and evil. It worships, worships luxury and it worships um, it even worships like some sense of freedom, right? Because Babylon, mm-hmm. like in a sense, like those people were very free. Like they had the freedom to kind of do whatever except for the slaves within it. But you know, that was a whole nother conversation. <laughs> <laughs> but you think of like the Bible uses that as an archetype of it's a type of country. It's a type of people. And so like even when you look at America, like we are a Babylon. We don't like to admit that. We don't like to look at ourselves that way. But there are definitely things that we do that are like a Babylon. Oh, and, absolutely. And so for me, like the thing I always think about is like, you think of Daniel and Babylon, right? 
and you start reading Daniel in a whole new light, right? You start reading like, wait, I am ex- exiled. But yeah, I mean, it's just, it's interesting when you think about that, right? Like we are living in a Babylon. So like there are things that we experience that are really difficult that we don't realize that it's just because that's the world we live in. But um, yeah, it's just, it's something different, right? It's a different way of looking at your world. It's a terrifying way to look at the world if you ask me. Uh, a little bit. And then on the whole other side, it's kind of exciting too. You're like, oh, let's that's see true. what happens. And that I think too. it's it's so it's just so like that's why I, I I love really digging in and understanding like what the Bible says and why it was written. Like even like the things like Ryan was saying, like talking about Chronicles. Like um, one of the questions in this class I was taking, right? It says, "Are we imposing a set of questions that are foreign to what the authors are trying to communicate, or do we need to just set our cultural agendas aside and just listen to what it has to say?" Hmm. And I think a lot of no. time we read we read the Bible through our lens of the world, which is not necessarily the worst thing in the world to do. But I think it's really hard to do that if you haven't read the Bible through the lens of the reader or the writer. Sorry. If you haven't read the Bible through the lens of the writer to understand why this comment was made, Mm -hmm. then you can't accurately read the Bible through the eyes of where you're at right now in the 21st century. Uh, and that's not easy to do. I mean, you got to understand that the culture that that writer is coming from to understand why they're saying the things that they are. Yeah. I mean, I, I look, this is a really cheesy example, but I, I just remember back in the day when I was probably in middle school or high school and I, and I thought getting tattoos was a sin. Right. Because the, I think it's the book of Leviticus that talks about yeah. the tattooing your, your body, body, marking your body. But that was completely out of context and completely different for that culture yeah. than the one that we're in now. It wasn't saying that tattoos are a sin, right. but in that culture marking your body was a marking of the dead it was it exactly was like an, it was like a um form of idol worship right and i'm like well i don't think i'm worshiping idols by my tattoos so i think we're good yeah i mean if you don't have pointless ink then you're i mean yeah. it points to christ or if it's if it's you know nothing stupid nothing that is could cause idolatry then right exactly there's nothing wrong with tattoos well even even just talking about like that like the way this um professor puts it right is he says there is intelligent life in these texts like we have to understand that there's intelligent life in these texts of like understanding that they're written in a way to communicate something right. that we don't necessarily understand. Um, so like just even that whole concept of that chapter in Luke I read earlier, right? All the people understood what he meant. Everyone un- like immediately clicked. Um, but for me, it's just another thing or even like um, we were talking about earlier where you're talking about the transfig- the transfiguration, right? Mm-hmm. And you have uh, Moses and um, Elijah up there, right? And all of us are like, I'll be honest, like when I was a kid or uh, even up until, I don't know, last week, I'd read that passage and be like, oh, that's super dope. Like Moses and Elijah up there, like, this is cool. Yeah, those guys are important. Well, that's, aren't they? that's awesome. Like, I don't really know why they're there, but sweet. That's, that's great. And then you, under, then you actually think about it, right? And you realize that God was fulfilling a promise. Like he's fulfilling, he's, he's showing grace. Like he told, like Moses sinned and he was told, you're not allowed to enter the promised land, but you're allowed to see it. And I mean, even that, like this is a little side note that like I shared with these guys that just blew my mind, right? Like it says in Deuteronomy that um, God took Moses up to the mountain. And so like uh, 
the majority of like Jewish scholars know or say that Moses wrote the majority of the Torah, which would be the law, right? Mm-hmm. So it's interesting because in that section right there, it changes from Moses writing to a third party. So someone later down the line was taking account this this verbal account that they had had in writing it down for history, right? And so it says God took Moses to uh, so he up onto the top of the mountain so he could view the promised land, right? And then it says this incredible phrase that I have read over. I mean, I've read, I think I've read the Bible front to back a dozen times or something like that. And I've read this every time and just, it just not even thought about it. Right. And it says, and he buried him there. And you're like, okay, whatever. But then if you actually stop and think about that, that he buried him, meaning for that person, the Israelites never saw Moses again. So someone buried Moses. Right. Because that would make sense to them. Right. Or what's more likely, because some of the language fits there, is that Moses was just carried away, kind of like Elijah was. Like he saw the promised land and he was caught up to heaven. Like there's no evidence one way or the other, but like you don't know. No Hmm. one knows where his body is. He says, and the, the writer says, his body is still not known where it is to this day, which meant number one, that this passage was written far later and that they don't know. So it's very likely either Moses just died up there or God carried him away because it even says that there was not an ailment in Moses. Like, uh, let me see if I can find it really quick. It's actually really interesting, right? Um, The death of Moses, right? So it says, and Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, the valley opposite of Bethor. But to this day, no one knows where his grave was. Moses was 120 years old when he died, yet his eyes were not weak, nor his strength gone. I mean, the guy was super healthy, right? He was perfectly healthy. It's uh, Deuteronomy 34. Um, so you you realize that Moses was a very healthy person. And the the to be honest, like if I was down in Israel, right, and I knew Moses went up to this mountain to see Israel, and after who knows how long, he just didn't come back, I would assume, well, I guess he's dead. Like, But it's that comment that he was 120 years old, his eyes were not weak, his strength wasn't gone, so it's very possible. He was caught up much like Elijah. Who's the he that buried him? God. That's the only he left. Huh. So you think about like, so it says, um, and then the Lord said to him, I did this. The Lord took him up. So it was only Moses that went up. Wow. So the he, the he is capitalized, <clears throat> implying that the Jewish authors believe it's God. So Yahweh buried him or caught him up, whatever. And that's the end of it. Wow. So Moses got to see the promised land and very possibly was caught up to heaven, right? You have Elijah who's prophesying about the Messiah. And that's what he's doing. He's doing that. He's saying that. And he's he's not going to see the Messiah. Like the Messiah is many, many, we find out later, right? He's many, many years off. But then at the Mount of Transfiguration, who's standing next to Jesus? Moses and Elijah. Moses gets to be in the promised land. He gets to stand there and Elijah gets to see the man he prophesied about. Like it's these wow. fulfillments of things that the, that the disciples with him, they caught on immediately. They, they realized. But to us, it's just these other guys are in the story. Mm-hmm. But it's those little things where it's just, it's mind blowing when you actually, when you can start reading it from, like I said, like are we imposing a set of questions that are foreign to what the authors are trying to communicate? Like what are the authors trying to communicate by these things? Because, I mean, we've said it, we've heard it said many times, the Bible wasn't written to us. 
It is for our edification. Mm -hmm. It's for our uh, teaching and knowledge, but it wasn't written to us, which means unless we are able to put ourselves in their shoes and understand, we're going to miss a lot of context. Right. Right. Um, But yeah, I mean, even simple things like that are so cool. It's like we talked about earlier. Like it's, it's amazing. Even that story, like with Elijah and Moses, like it's all, it's like a unified story leading to one, leading to one person. Like you talked about, I mean, Moses prophesied about Jesus. Elijah prophesied about those are probably um, maybe Daniel, Isaiah, or two other ones that come to mind that are pretty commonly well known. But it's cool that like the two, like you know, Elijah and Moses are you know the closest you get to someone that's going to be like Jesus, and then they're the ones that are on the mountain that get to you know get to see the transfiguration. And I, I don't know, it's just cool to see like like it unified the story unified and hmm. brought together like that. Um. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So I guess just uh, do you have something to, do you have to say? I was just gonna say it yeah. also speaks to to the grace of God. I mean, look at Moses, yeah. how he's he's no as a human being when he's still alive on this earth, he's he sins against God and he's no longer allowed to enter the promised land in his physical being. Mm-hmm. But God's grace <laughs> at the end of it, he yeah. whether he's buried or caught up in the clouds, whatever. I mean, it doesn't matter. Sure. In the transfiguration, he's standing with God in Israel, right? In the promised land. In the promised land, man. So it all points to God's grace again. Yeah. That's just the narrative of the whole Bible. The entire Bible. Pointing yeah. back to Christ and what he did for us. Awesome, man. Um, so I guess this is one thing. I guess this is more just like a personal thing that I've been feeling lately. Um, I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I'm, I would assume on some level you do. Like there's just like an overwhelming amount of anxiety that I feel like, I mean, at least I personally am dealing with. It feels like everything in the country or just in general is unsettled. Does that make sense to you guys? I think if we could rename the year 2020, it would be unsettled, anxiety, yeah. depression. And I just, this thought, you know, I've been feeling that like the last couple of days really bad for whatever reason. And I don't know, you know, I don't know why. Um, but I just found it interesting that like, that's all I've been feeling. And then every message that I've, every message that I've listened to today um, is one about like, you know, that if you know you're on the ship with Jesus and um and like it's stormy right now but like take hold because we're getting to a certain place right that was one of the messages and then the other message that i listened to is like um basically it's talking about like the the woman in the um, when Jesus meets with Simon and the lady the girl comes and you know washes his feet and stuff like that and so you know the overwhelming part of that is like Jesus's grace in that situation and i just i don't know i thought it was cool that like as i'm struggling with the anxieties and um the uncertainty of what's happening in the world, like the two things that God pressed on my heart was like, one, take hold and can carry on. And two, like the grace of Jesus is overwhelming. And the the way it was put to me is like, you know, in your life, when you hit rock bottom uh, and you're at your lowest point, like the grace of Jesus is still beneath your pe- feet. And when I heard that, I mean, like it basically brought me to tears. Like the idea that like at your lowest and your most difficult point in your mm-hmm. entire life, the grace of Jesus is below your feet and it's there to press you back up and to continue and carry on. And I just, I was broken by that. I've been broken by that for weeks and I just, such a cool thing. So yeah, yeah. it's, it's amazing how, how the grace of God abounds the most when we're at our worst, Yep. you know, when, when we're, when we're at that rock bottom, like you were saying, and, and he's still able to lift us up far beyond what we ever imagined possible. And I'll just say back from my personal experience when I was, lowest of my lows, which is not low for, you know, a lot of people, but for me, it was at that time. And those were the sweetest moments I've ever had yeah. with Jesus in my personal time. Like 
I could feel him wrapping his arms of comfort around me. Mm -hmm. And there's times where I wish I could just be broken again, just for that feeling of the closeness to Christ that I experienced. Well, I mean, our pastors even talked about talking to people who have had like that death experience where they die and go to heaven and then God sends them back. And they struggle with that sense of like, I'd just rather be home. Right. Like, I get that. Like, I would so much rather, if I got to experience heaven for one second, it would be so difficult for me to be back here. I'd be mad at God for sending me back here. I'm not going to lie. Right. (laughs) Because it's just like, there's that, you enter into his presence and then you leave. But I think the thing to me that, that's really struck me lately is there is this brokenness for the world because there are so many people who just don't know him and their final destiny is hell. There is no ifs, ands or buts. All of our final destiny is hell. If we do not know Jesus, that should break our hearts. That should destroy. That should break our, But you know what the sad part is a lot of us. And I I'm guilty of it. A lot of people are guilty of it. I joke about it. Like, well, that person's going to hell. Mm. I jo- I make jokes about it, but yet like that's eternal separation from God. Mm-hmm. Like honestly, like I've thought about this, right? Like, what would it be like to have God turn my, His back on me, or what? Like, He will never do that. But like that, sep- like I don't know what it would feel like to be distant from God right now. Right. And there's times where I feel distant from God because I've walked away, or I've yeah, done we put stupid. up barriers and we hinder ourselves. But even still, like the saying has always been that since I was in high school, like. If you've walked away from God, turn around and see who moved. It wasn't him. He's still there. You turn around, he's still right there. So you you didn't leave. He didn't leave. So even in those moments where I feel distant, he's still near. Like, I can't imagine what it would be like to be far from God. And to be honest, like, people, people who don't know Jesus, their actions in the world make perfect sense. Like, of course you're going to act like that if you mm-hmm. don't know Jesus. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you cheat and steal and do everything you can to gain and gain and gain because that's all you've been told is valuable. And it's it breaks my heart that we sometimes just forget that that's the consequence. That's that's the payment, right? Mhm. And maybe like the point of all that is you think about like you see the world now and especially um with everything being so convoluted and like it's difficult to understand what we're supposed to be doing. Like there's a whole world out there that just desperately needs Jesus and just doesn't know. And um, this is, you know, it, and it's kind of on, it's been on my heart for a long time. I think we've talked about this more than one time, but like, are we missing the opportunity to spread that message? Mm-hmm. Um and I, I would say, I would say yes. And um, a lot of times, I think in my brain, it comes back to the thing that, like, I fear people's opinions, mm-hmm. and I don't want to open myself up to ridicule by wanting to talk about Jesus with people that might make fun of me for it. And mm-hmm. it's crazy thing about when, when Mark, when you put it in the perspective of like they're going to be separated from God forever. Like, how can I not say something? How can I not bring myself to that situation? Um, think of so, your friends and family members. Yeah, don't you love them? Of course. And I mean, like, do yeah. do we though? If we truly love yeah. them, wouldn't no. we be outspoken for Christ? So there's this book one of my friends told me about that I I ordered and I have to read. And the book's title is What If Jesus Was Serious? 
<laughs> right? Right? Like we laugh because it's like, oh, right. We actually don't take a lot of his sayings seriously. We don't. I think we get comfortable in our salvation. We just come to like, okay, I'm saved. You know, my, my debt is paid. Yep. I'm good. I'm good to go. But no, I mean, yes, but it doesn't end there. Now well, we're called to be approved workmen that are not ashamed. Well, what was his comment is, what's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart. And then he says, the second is like it, meaning it is just as important. Mm-hmm. You know what that verse is? Love your neighbor as yourself. Mm-hmm. We do a really crappy job of that We sometimes. sure do. But if Jesus wasn't serious, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I'm I'm excited, but also not excited to read that book. It's gonna I have a funny feeling it's absolutely gonna destroy me. We should probably go through that book together. Yeah, Yeah, we actually should. It'd be really good. It'd be a good a good talking point for this. Well, um man, I mean that just that hit that hit me so hard, man. Like the fact that we're just not like you know, you might think like, you know, in my brain, like it's like I think I'm doing better, and then there's just something else that God hits me with where I'm like I could just, I could do even better. And um, when you talk about like, is Jesus serious? And we talk about all the time, like you're practicing the way of Jesus, you're trying to be like Jesus consistently. And like, if you're not out there trying to bring people to his kingdom, like, are you really being more like Jesus? Or are you just living in like the comfort of your own self? Right. And keeping yourself in your bubble and safe. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's crazy to think about. Um, but man, uh, well, it, it goes back to what I read earlier in Romans chapter seven, verses 15 to 25. Mm-hmm. We're righteous in Christ, but we're not perfected until the day of redemption. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, man, I, I, I don't know. You guys have anything else? Yeah, one other thing. Oh man, we're really, Mark's really, fire tonight. Yeah, we're really cooking tonight. <laughs> yeah. No, this was one that I thought was, I, I have one, maybe two things. I haven't decided if I want to stir the pot with my last one yet. So anyway, um, if you look at the first, if you look at Psalms, right, the first, I think it's like 45 chapters or something like that. Every uh, chapter, the way we have it in our Bibles, has like a subheading, right? So like chapter three is like a Psalm of David when he fled from his son Absalom. Um, Psalm four is for the director of music and so on. But Psalms one and two are interesting. They they don't have headings. And it's actually interesting when you read through it. Um, Psalm 1 and 2 are very much like, almost like instructions for reading the Torah or like a brief overview of the Torah, of the law. They're like, it's like, a, it's it's a reminder. It's like this little link back to remind people of the Torah. So like, um, it, they're both really short, so I'm actually going to read them, right? So Psalm chapter 1, blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or take, or st- way, stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the Lord, law of the Lord who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. I mean, it, it, it's, it's a very quick summarized idea of the law, right? Follow the Lord your God and it'll go well with you. Don't and you will be judged. So that's Psalms 1. Psalms 2 is really interesting, right? So Psalms 2 says, Why do the nations conspire and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed, Jesus. He is the anointed one. So it's referencing Jesus all the way back in Psalm 1 or Psalm 2. 
saying, let us, this is the kings of the earth speaking right here, right? Let us break their chains and throw off their shackles. The one enthroned in heaven laughs. (laughs) The Lord scoffs at them. He rebukes them in his anger and terrifies them in his wrath saying, I have installed my king on Zion, my holy mountain, Jesus. I will, and then this is Jesus speaking. I will proclaim Yahweh's decree. He said to me, you are my son, and today I have become your father. Ask me, and I will make the nations your inheritance and the ends of the earth your possession. You will break them with a rod of iron. Funny. So um, in like older translations, it, it usually translates break to shatter. But this is something that blew my mind. The Hebrew word for shatter and the Hebrew word for shepherd are almost the exact same word. So if you read it how most people understand it actually meant, it says you will shepherd them with a rod of iron. You will actually lead them. You will dash, so you'll lead them away. You'll dash them to pieces like pottery. Therefore, you kings be wise. Be warned, you rulers of the earth. Serve Yahweh with fear and celebrate his rule with trembling. Kiss his son or he will be angry and your way will lead to your destruction for his wrath can flare up like a moment. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. Now, a lot of us know like the passage that in, um, the, in the Torah, right? That where God describes his character, right? And it says he's slow to anger. Mm-hmm. Um, another translation would be long suffering. So like if you read that and you're astute, you're like, wait, it just says that his anger will flare up in a moment. Wait, what? How? But this is also talking about his anointed, his king he has set up, Jesus. What does Jesus do when he returns? His anger flares up and he overthrows the unjust kingdoms of the world. Think about what he does in the temple to the temple. Um, wow. The, temp, the, uh, exchange, the money changers. He overthrows them, right? But even those little things like this is Psalm 1. Wow. It's mind-blowing. I'm going to need to take some time to reflect on that. Once again, the whole Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. Amen. Um, whatever, you know, whatever example you come up with, it's cool to think about. Like, it, it comes back to that over and over again. Like, the Bible is a unified story that leads to Jesus. And, you know, honestly, the compassion of God on his people. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, the thing that kind of went along with that that I thought was interesting is they talked about, like, obviously in that day, the ability to read and write. Was, that was a very few people, right? It was mostly oral traditions that were handed down, right? They were, there wasn't a whole lot of written things. Um, and so it even talks about like the Hebrew Bible is like a, minor, a minority report from the people of Israel that represents the viewpoint of the prophets of what was going on. They were taking note. They were writing down what was going on in Israel's history from the viewpoint of the prophets. Um, so it, it wasn't very often. And so it's interesting where Jesus's critique of the Pharisees in the New Testament is that they've turned their heritage into a tool for advancing their own interests, both personal and political, and privilege instead of trying to be trying to bring more people into faithfulness and into the covenant. They've turned everything into this law and this rule that you have to do this to fit with us. And like they're a very political group, right? Like like they're able to get um the rulers of Rome to side with them and crucify Jesus. They have political sway in that, mm-hmm. in that world. Or to kill Paul. Or to kill Paul. 
right? So it's just interesting, like that's Jesus, like that's one of Jesus' critiques of them is that they've taken their heritage that was written by the minority people who were oppressed constantly. And so basically when you're like, people are like, well, whose book is the Hebrew Bible? It's so like in the question of whose book it is, it's the book of those who are oppressed in Hebrew, the Nevin, the afflicted or the rejected ones. Like the, the, the stone that was cast away. Wow. And it's just like, when you realize that, like that's who the Bible's written to. They are that. And it's just, it, it, it blows my mind, right? It's that's just amazing. It's that's amazing. so incredible to me that that, that is, we are grafted into that. But again, it, it makes, it adds so much richness to some of the text when you read it, when you understand it from that point of view. So would you say like the, the things that you learn from that, when you talk about how it's for the poor, the needy and the afflicted, like, is that something that goes along with like kingdom culture of today? Yeah, is that right. fair? Yeah, for sure. Like, obviously like we're instructed to take care of the poor. Like we're instructed to do things that I, I think a lot of people find uncomfortable care for the poor, care for the widow, um, care for the sojourner, which in our terms would be immigrant, um, like care for these people, like care for those who are afflicted, those who are on the margins, because that's who wrote this scripture. And it's just, it's just interesting. Like it, it applies to every single time in the world. Like the Bible was written in the sense where everyone can read it anytime in history and they can see these things going on. It's just, it's incredible. It, it's incredible. Like it's it, unfathomable, honestly. It is. It's so amazing because it, it is that it, it's that unified story. It's just, it's really cool to me. Um, and it's just like, this is the God we believe in. This is the God we follow. This is his word. Um, you know, did you have anything else to share? No, I think that pretty much covers it for me tonight, man. Yeah. Just be more like Jesus. That's all I have to say. So, yeah. Um, Man, Josh, it's been awesome. it was awesome having you in here and having like your perspective and things like that. So we just appreciate you coming on, and um, I'm sure we'll have you on next time because it's really fun. So yeah, guys, um, this was a blast. It's and really fun, and yeah. It's- I, 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 my hope is that not only can we help others grow in their faith, but as we do this, that we'll grow in our faith. Yeah. Um, and like that video that you showed me, Mark, by what was his name, Michael Todd. Let's mature. Yeah. Let's just let's mature in our faith. Heck yeah, man. So Josh, do you want to uh, pray us out then? Yeah, let's do it. Awesome. Heavenly Father, we thank you for how good you are. Thank you for your love and your mercy and your grace. I thank you for this time that you blessed, Father. Um, I pray that as people listen to this, that they would um, take it to heart. Lord, I pray that if we said anything that was not of you, that you would just take that out um, and you would put words in our mouths and the people's ears because God knows we're broken. Amen. And as I prayed earlier, Father, I pray that our brokenness would collide with your grace yes, and that we'd have a deeper understanding of who you are. Um, and I just pray that every day you'd reveal more of yourself to us and more of ourselves to us, Father, that we might walk in your ways. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys. Well, see you around next time, whenever that is. See you, buddy. God bless. What's up? Thank you.